0: Hi, this is Roland Fisher, lead pastor of Second City Church, and we hope that you're well. Welcome to our online service. We hope you leave today encouraged, full of faith, and ready to take the kingdom of God wherever you may go. Now, today what we're doing is we're continuing our new series, which is entitled The Big Ten. And the Big Ten is actually referring to the Ten Commandments of God which the Israeli prophet Moses gave to the people of God as they were coming out of their slavery in Egypt into the promised land of modern-day Israel. And what God gave them in the Ten Commandments were a basis through which they could cultivate, develop, and also be blessed in their relationship with God. They were the commandments that would lead to the life of promise that God had for them within the land to which He would called them. And it's important for the Christian today to understand these commandments, not because they're the basis of our salvation, but because they are the very things that Jesus Christ put into practice and perfectly fulfilled in the requirements of the law so that we could be reconciled to God. And by living, that perfect example for us gave us means by which we could now live the life abundant, or the life to the full that he's called us to through the gospel. And so it's important that as we look in these commands, we think about how do we put them into practice today? And how do we live them out as we live a life of of love towards God and one another? And so today, the command, um, as we focus on the fifth and the sixth commandments, our message is going to be entitled, Better Response, Better Relationships, God's Commands. And we're going to break the message down into three parts. We're going to talk about, first, the fact that God's commands start in the home. We're going to talk, secondly, about the fact that uh, these commands affect every other relationship that we have. And then finally, we're going to talk about the commands of our perfect father by focusing on this statement, that you will have better relationships when you obey the commands of God. And so before we do anything else, let's pray. Father, we thank you so much that you've given us your word today to give us not only a picture of who you are, but how to love, worship, and walk with you in our times today. God, through obedience to your commands, may you help us to come to a place where we love you as you've loved us and love the world, really, as you've shown us how to do so. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, let's start by talking about the fact that God's commands begin in the home. We will better understand God's gospel of grace when we first learn to honor our parents. That's right. We will, first under, we will come to better understand God's gospel of grace when we first learn to honor our parents. God's commandment number five was this in Exodus chapter 20, verse 12. He said, honor your father and your mother that your days may be long in the land that the Lord your God is giving you. Honor your father and mother that your days might be long in the land that the Lord your God is giving you. Now, why is this the first commandment that really has to do with something other than God himself? Well, this fifth commandment is meant to be a bridge, and it's meant to be a bridge between what it means to practically love the Lord our God with all of our hearts, minds, soul, and strength, and to secondly, love our neighbors as ourselves. And we understand that really there's no way to properly or fully love God who we can't see with obedience to the first four commandments and properly love the people around us who we can see by not obeying this first commandment of loving the people or honoring the people who are the most important relationships in your home. That means that the commands of God, when it has to do with other people, needs to be first worked out in the home. We should never think that we should obey the commands of God outside of the home and treat people well outside of the home if we can't first treat people in our home well first. And that's why God's saying, listen, honor your father and your mother. Before I talk about any other relationship, I want you to honor your father and mother. Why is that? Well, obviously the parental relationships are the first and the most formative relationships that we have in our early childhood development. And they were given by God to really at least accomplish four things when done well. When our parents are running in their stride, fulfilling the purposes of God, they should be the first people to be caregivers in our lives, right? None of us would survive lest our parents fed us, clothed us, sheltered us, right? Did all the things that were necessary to keep us out of harm's way and our parents were designed by God to be caregivers. Number 2, they were to be the first forms or source of instruction for our life. How is life lived the best? And how is it that we should interact with the world around us for our good? They were to number 3 be the first source of definition and stability in our lives giving us an identity, not only a family identity, but what it means to be a young man or what it means to be a young woman, and ultimately what it means to be a worshiper of the living God. Our parents were intended to be this for us. And then number four, they were meant to be the first, uh, I guess, source of authority for us, helping to create healthy boundaries for us so that we would actually flourish in life and actually do well. Now, the thing about honoring our parents is that whether or not we knew our parents, right? We know that we all come from different types of households. Some of us come from households where it's an easy thing to think about honoring our parents. That's my story, where I came from a home where my parents are still actively, even to this day, involved in my life and the lives of my children and my wife. And I'm so thankful for the blessing that they are. I thank you that I'm thankful that my, um, my uh, wife's, her parents are intimately involved in not only their natural born children's lives, but their adopted children's lives and being a blessing to forming and shaping them. And that my father-in-law is a man of God who's even a pastor helping to set an example for me into his eighties, being a loving man of God, loving the Lord with all of his heart, mind, soul, and strength. And we have that. We have that as a good example. But we also know there are plenty of um, examples where parents were absent or abusive or, or, or neglectful of their children. And when we hear that command to honor our fathers and mothers, though for some it can be a happy thing, for others it can be a challenging thing. And what we know is that God realizes the realities in which we all find ourselves. He knows that regardless of how you experienced your childhood or how you experienced your relationship with your parents, even up to this point today, he knows that the parents that he gave you are sinners. And I never real—I I didn't come to realize the reality of this uh, ever more uh, clearly than when I became a parent myself. Though I had great parents, I knew they had shortcomings. But when I became a father myself, and not just any type of father, but a father who was actually trying to serve the Lord, trying to do what's right before God and towards my wife and towards my children, but still finding that I came up terribly short again and again and again. What I embraced finally was this biblical reality that it doesn't matter who your parents are, or it doesn't matter what type of parent that you want to be towards your child, you and your parents will ultimately be sinners. And with that biblical worldview, we have to look at this fifth commandment, understanding that any parent is going to be a sinner whether they are somebody who's justified in Christ and in, process, in the process of sanctification, becoming more like Christ day by day, or somebody who's far gone and is still bound in the slavery of sin. They are sinners who need ultimately to receive honor, not because they're perfect, but despite their sin. Not because they're perfect, but in the midst of their sin. When God gives this command to honor your father and mother, he's actually saying honor people that God knows are sinners. And he's saying honor them for multiple reasons. Honor them for multiple reasons. Honor them, obviously, when they do well because they're deserving of that honor. You want to respect your parents when they fulfill those first four responsibilities well, being a great caregiver, a great instructor a great source of definition and stability, and a great and a healthy sense of authority. But when they don't do well or they're dysfunctional in every way, and here's a little secret to you, every family, don't just think it was your family, every family, because they're full of sinners, has some element of dysfunction to it. Doesn't that liberate you a little bit? (laughs) Every family, because they're full of sinners, have some form of dysfunction to it. But what we see is that when God's saying, honor your father and mother in spite of their dysfunction, he's saying it's important because first, your parents are the first form of authority that you have in your life. And if we can love God who we cannot see, We need to be able to love people who we can see, right? In the same way, if our parents, especially when we were, if if I'm speaking to you and you're young and you're in your parents' home right now, you need to obey, which is a form of honor, your parents who you can see if you ever hope to cultivate a heart inside of you to obey God who you can't see. There's a direct correlation there, and what God's given you in your earthly parents is to be a reflection of what you have in your heavenly father. Though God is perfect and your parents are imperfect, you learn obedience to the imperfect. You learn obedience to the perfect heavenly father by your obedience to the imperfect earthly father and mother. And when you're an adult and outside of the home and you're making your own decisions, obviously you're not doing everything that your earthly parents say. You're your own man or you're your own woman now. But you still honor them by in the midst of their sin, in the midst of their dysfunction, in the midst of the shortcomings that might have provided some baggage for you in your life that you need to receive counseling about or really work through in prayer and work through with uh, really uh, moments of trying to proactively live a different way. Even if that's the case, you can honor those fathers and mothers by choosing to esteem them, choosing to speak well of them, choosing to proactively love them. And as much as it's up to you, have a relationship with them, with boundaries when necessary. Hear me on that, with boundaries when necessary, but basically proactively having a relationship with them where you place on them the same esteem that God has for them. And the only thing that you're doing is giving them the same grace that God himself has demonstrated towards you. That is honoring your father and mother. And he says that it is the first commandment with a promise. Why? Why is it the first commandment with a promise? Well, he says so that you might live long in the land that the Lord your God is calling you to. And for the Christian, that's a life abundant that God's calling us to. Now, why would Our honoring of our father or mother be dependent on that well the reason why is because if we are not careful and if we are not careful to put this commandment into practice to honor our fathers and mothers despite their frailties what can happen is one of two things either we are destined to replicate their dysfunction Because the very thing that we despise, we begin to do ourselves. Has anyone ever seen that before? That's why people are always talking about the fact that even though they had things about their parents that they didn't like, they ultimately, when they become parents, say what? Oh my gosh, I'm becoming my father. Or, oh my gosh, I'm becoming my mother. In my Sinful state, if I'm not choosing to honor them in the midst of their frailties and learning how to look at them from a biblical worldview, being able to distinguish between what they did right and what they did wrong before God, esteeming what was right and choosing to reject and therefore in my own life repent of that which was wrong then ultimately I'm destined to even passively repeat that which I disdained. That's the first thing. Or number two, if I'm not careful, I can overcompensate for that which I choose to not only dishonor but reject about my parents. And what that means is, For example, if you came from a home where it was nothing but harsh words spoken towards you, nothing but criticism given towards you, and you felt beat down and oppressed by it all the time, and you say in and of yourself, you know what, I was never encouraged, I was never really lifted up, I was never really told, given a definition that was healthy and God-given and good. And so I vow never, to be like that in my own life, never to be harsh in my own home. Then you can actually overcompensate without that biblical worldview. And when you're a parent, instead of actually correcting and instructing and lovingly leading and teaching with a balanced worldview, you're so committed to not repeating what you experienced in your own home growing up, that you never correct that which you need to correct in your own children because the pendulum has swung so hard. But what this commandment does is it gives you the ability to have a good biblical balance. I'm honoring my parents not because of their perfection, but because God has commanded me to do so because of the value He places on them and their role, despite the fact that they're sinners. And when I choose to look at them the way God's looked at them, then I can do at least four things. I can, number one, practice honor, practice honor by understanding their shortcomings with that biblical worldview that our parents, just like the rest of humanity, are fallen creatures in need of a Savior because of sin. And guess what? So are we. We can, number two, practice honor by praying for our parents' salvation if they are still living, and share the gospel of their own redemption with them when we're able. If they'll give us an ear, share the gospel of their freedom with them. Number three, we can practice honor by identifying any positive and godly qualities that we can encourage in them and for which we can thank God for them about. We want to be thankful for what we did see that was godly and positive in them and esteem those things, even verbally, to them when able. That's a way to honor them and we number 4 can practice honor by loving them with demonstrations of respect in our interaction with them choosing not to disparage them even if you feel like they deserve it showing them proactive proactively that you value them and having proactive demonstrations of kindness towards them again if you have parents who are godly and uh were at least hitting a third like a three um 300 batting average right then listen it might be an easy thing to do but if they weren't you can still be proactively kind honoring them despite what you feel like they deserve and the cost may be great to you but your absorption of even your parents sin, And again, all parents, including myself, have sinned. But your absorption of their sin will allow you to better understand both the sufferings and the love of Christ. You'll be an agent of God's grace towards those who so desperately need it. And in this case, it may, in fact, be your parents. So God says in this fifth commandment, honor your father and mother that it might go well with you. But this also applies not only to your parents, but the same is true for relationships outside of the home. And ultimately, the commands of God affect every relationship that we have. And we will have better relationships with others when we learn to lay down the offenses that we carry against them. This was the essence of commandment number six, where in Exodus 20:13 Moses said, you shall not murder. And from the get-go, we obviously have in our minds, okay, obviously, one of two things. I've never murdered somebody, or maybe you have. Maybe you're listening today and you've physically taken the life of another individual without a righteous um, cause. And in that case, I'm here to tell you that if you're watching today, that there is still hope for you. That the gospel of Jesus Christ applies to you as well. And even if you have taken someone's life, whether man, woman, child, or baby, God says he can forgive you as you repent, turn from that sin, and put your trust in Jesus and his finished work for you on the cross. That Jesus took your punishment, your sin, your shame on the cross there. But let me also say that it's not just for those who've taken the physical life of another individual. It's also for those who many times try to disqualify themselves from this, but are full of murder in their hearts. And why do I say this? Well, Jesus, in his famous Sermon on the Mount, expressed it this way. In Matthew 5, 21, he said, You've heard that it was said of those of old, You shall not murder. And whoever murders will be liable to judgment. But I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. Whoever insults his brother will be liable to the council, the religious council of that time. And whoever says, you fool, speaking of someone being morally reprobate and unredeemable, will be liable of the Truly, I say to you, you will never get out until you have paid the last penny. And so what God's saying is, I'm telling you, obey my commandments and do not murder. Not just in a physical sense, but also do not murder. Do not murder in your hearts. Whenever Jesus was talking about sin, he said, it's not just what you do externally. Really, all righteousness and sin begins in the heart. And why does he bring it to the heart? Because ultimately, the heart is the seedbed of all human interaction and activity. If you're meditating on and thinking about and uh, really sowing into doing what's altruistic, godly, and right, that's what's ultimately going to come out of you. It's going to be the plans and the purposes manifested from your heart. But if on the other hand, you're full of all types of hatred, unforgiveness, bitterness towards other people, even if you justify it because of their offenses against you. He said, ultimately, that is the precursor for murder in your heart. Now, why does Jesus say it like that when you think to yourself, I've never harmed anyone in a physical way? Well, it's because of the fact that as is the case with all sin, What happens in your heart if, given both opportunity and the deception of thinking that you can do that sin without consequence, there's opportunity to do it, fulfill it without consequence, because of our sinful nature. If we're sowing into something like this hatred, discord, this lack of forgiveness towards people, That, when given the opportunity, will come out. We will do what we think we can get away with without consequence. And Jesus is ultimately saying, don't let that be the case by hating people in your heart. Because before God, that's murder. When you disparage them with your lips, that's like murder. Because you're destroying their reputation. You're destroying their own sense of identity about themselves. You're tearing them down from the inside out. God says, do not murder. Do not murder people. And when we're talking about murder, obviously, we're not talking about righteous death. We're not talking about killing. Killing and murder are two different things, right? When we, see, when we read the Bible, we see that the Bible is full of death, but righteous death. There's also full of unrighteous death, but there's plenty of killing in the Bible when God himself was at, enacting a righteous judgment, And whenever there's a righteous judgment, there can be death. But murder is on the basis of an unrighteous taking of life, an unrighteous taking of reputation, an unrighteous taking and disparaging of your fellow man. And God's saying, do not do this. And why? Because ultimately, not only does it affect the other individual, but it will affect you too. When you see this passage, when Jesus is talking about, make sure that if you're trying to even worship me, if you're trying to do something and offer a gift on the altar, which is a form of worship, sacrificing something to God, right? And there remember that your brother has something against you. He says, before you ever um, consider continuing to do the thing that you think is religious or spiritual, leave your gift at the altar. First, go be reconciled to your brother, then come back and offer your gift. So what God's saying is like, don't try to worship me in vain. Do the things that I'm saying to do. Don't do the things that I'm saying not to do. And that's true worship before me. Otherwise, if you don't, guess whose detriment it's to? It's to not their detriment, but to yours. And I think we've all been in a scenario like this before. Have you ever been in a scenario where you thought that by just giving somebody the evil eye, just giving them the evil eye because you had an offense against them, that they would somehow feel how they were wrong. They would somehow know the offense that they committed against you. They would somehow come to some sort of sorrow or some sort of remorse about the wrong that they committed against you, only to realize that while you were giving them the evil eye, they weren't thinking about you at all. Did that ever happened to you before? Have you ever been in a scenario where you thought that you were so full of even a righteous indignation towards somebody and that you wouldn't forgive them? And then what you saw was that while it was eating you away in your soul, it was causing you sleepless nights. It was causing you ulcers and anxiety because of the offense that they committed against you. They were going about their business, not giving a second thought to you or your life. That happens more often than we'd like to admit. And this is what Jesus is saying. Don't murder even in your soul. Why? Because who ends up in prison is you. And Jesus came to set you free from slavery, both externally and internally. That's the good news of the gospel. He comes to set the captives free. And by obeying this commandment, not just to not Physically take the life of a man, woman, child, or baby, but he's actually saying, do not hate someone in your heart. Don't hate them in your heart, and so end up in prison yourself only with having to stand before the judge, which is God Almighty Himself, who will ultimately have to hold us to account for the life that we're living before Him. What God's saying is that ultimately, do not do that. Do not give yourself. Do not give yourself to murder that will put you in prison and not somebody else. Ultimately, what we need to do is understand that there's a perfect father that we're serving, a perfect God that we're serving that he's trying to bring us, remember, to his freedom. He says, I'm the Lord, your God, who brought you out of slavery. And we have the humility needed for better relationships with both God and other people when we embrace the forgiveness of a perfect heavenly father. Forgiveness received from him and therefore forgiveness given to other people. And Jesus went on to talk about this in Matthew 5, 43. He says, you have heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. do not even the Gentiles, meaning those without the law of God, do the same. You therefore must be perfect as your heavenly father is perfect. And what he's not saying here is that the only way you can relate with God is through perfection of your own. Ultimately, we have relationship with God because of Christ's perfection, not our own. What he's saying here is ultimately pursue, not just some of the commands of God and pick and choose which ones are right for you or which ones you choose or want to obey, but come into the full freedom of God by obeying completely that which he set before you, even as you have a perfect heavenly father who exemplifies these things for you. And what he's saying is that though your father and mother may be imperfect, honor them anyway. Though you may have people in your life, friends, colleagues, neighbors, co-workers who are actually imperfect, choose to not hate them, but choose to treat them with the same grace from God that you've received yourself anyway, because forgiveness is the standard of our heavenly father. And he says, just as we're sinners who need it, we need to offer it to other people. Pray for those who persecute you. Love your enemies. Love your enemies. Pray for their good. Work for their good. That you might win them over through prayer, example, and the preaching of this gospel to what's good as well. Because if you can do that, you will be modeling what your heavenly father himself is modeling. He says, uh, there was a man named Bob Goff who said, love difficult people because you're one of them. And so am I. And when he's calling us to the forgiveness of the gospel, he calls us to what Pastor Timothy Keller actually said in his book, Prodigal God. Mercy and forgiveness must be free and unmerited to the wrongdoer. If the wrongdoer has to do something to merit it, then it isn't mercy, but forgiveness always comes at a cost to the one granting the forgiveness. And the cost ultimately came to Jesus Christ when he lived the sinless life that we should have lived and on the cross died the sacrificial death that we should have died. He absorbed the sin that we committed against him but because of his innocence was three days later raised from the dead so we could have new life in him. And so he says, because I've given you that opportunity for forgiveness and new life, receive it and then give it to others, starting in the home with your parents and then going on to everybody that you know and see around you, that they too might come into the grace of God, the newness of life in Jesus name. And so today, if you found in and of yourself that you have never come into that grace, I want to first start by praying for you. And would you pray this prayer with me to see yourself reconciled with God? Almighty God, I admit to you today that I'm a sinner. And I know that I've lived not only in the rebellion that comes from knowing your commands, but also I'm guilty of really disobeying those that I didn't even know. And I know that as I've been a rebel, I deserve death and hell, but I don't want it. And I'm asking you to forgive me my wrongdoing against you and against others today. I believe that you sent Jesus to die the sacrificial death on the cross that I should have died after living a sinless life. And you enabled him to be raised from the dead so that I could have forgiveness of sins and newness of life. God, I'm asking you that you would Forgive me today and make me a new creation today. I say, Jesus is my Lord and teach me how to love you for the rest of my days. In his name, amen. Now, if you prayed that prayer, God said he's made you a new creation. So would you go with me to our website, secondcitychurch.com slash new life. There you can find not only resources, but next steps of how to walk out this new life in God. And for the rest of us, let's go back into worship, honoring our heavenly father, who's loved us perfectly so. And if you've uh, made a decision to serve Jesus today or want somebody to stand with you in prayer, even as we go into worship, click on the link below. There are people there to encourage you and strengthen you with the word of God. In Jesus' mighty name.
1: Hello again, friends. What a powerful time in the Word of God. I hope you're feeling encouraged today. We're gonna continue in that encouragement through remembering what Jesus has done for us through Holy Communion. So if you haven't got the bread and the juice, go ahead and get it and come right back here. So guys, let's jump into the Word of God and see what the Apostle Paul has to say about this gift we have of communion. He says in 1 Corinthians eleven twenty three through 32, he says, "'For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, "'that the Lord Jesus, on the night when he was betrayed, "'he took bread, and when he had given thanks, "'he broke it, and said, "'This is my body, which is for you. "'Do this in remembrance of me.' "'In the same way, he also took the cup after supper, "'saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. "'Do this, as often as you drink it, "'in remembrance of me.' But when we are judged by the Lord, we are disciplined so that we may not be condemned along with the world. So the Father wants us to remember the kindness that draws us to repentance, and His kindness is shown in the free gift that is obtained by grace through faith in Jesus Christ. And so today, if you have surrendered your life, if you've said, I no longer want to carry the weight, the guilt, the condemnation of sin today is your day to repent and turn from that and to place your trust in jesus christ so i want you to take the bread and we're going to do what jesus said we're going to remember him so right now if you remember and place your faith for the first time or again in jesus's body broken for you for your healing you can partake of the bread And then the Lord Jesus also said, when he took the cup, he said, this is a new covenant in my blood for the forgiveness of sins. So we we'll remember the kindness of God that removes the stain of sin through the shedding of the blood of Jesus. So if you've placed your trust in Jesus' blood for the forgiveness of your sins, you can partake of the juice. Ah, now let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for the free gift that is in Jesus. Thank you for your shed blood. Thank you for your broken body. Now we ask that you fill us with your precious Holy Spirit right now and help us to walk in faith and in victory over sin and death here and now in Jesus name, amen.
0: Now throughout this week, we're going to continue to discuss these things as we gather together in our community groups. If you've not been able to find one yet that fits your schedule, please do check our website out to find both in-person and virtual options. We'll be praying for you this week, so let us know how we can be standing with you. And do consider how you can share this link with others who need to encounter the grace of God. Invite someone with you next week to our service who also needs to hear the good news of Jesus Christ. And until then, have a great week in the Lord. God bless you, and we love you. See you next week.